0: Good morning, everybody. All right. Hey, I want to greet those of you who are watching in our campuses this morning in Waterbury, New Milford, and in Derby. Hello to all of you and to our online campus as well. Uh, Greetings to you. My name is Brian. If you're new in one of our campuses or here at our Bethel campus, I'm one of the lead pastors, and it is a real honor to be able to share God's word with you today. I'm excited today to share what the Lord has placed uh, and on my heart as I share it with you. We are in a series right now called Jesus Says. We're looking at the different things that Jesus says to us, the different things that he teaches us. I'm just so thankful that we have Jesus. <laughs> oh my goodness. If I went on my own way, if you went on your own way, oh my goodness. And oftentimes we do, don't we? But this is a real time for us and and his church to say, Jesus, we want to do the things that you call us to. And and Jesus, he commands us to things that's going to bring freedom to us. It's going to bring us and lead us into the, the fullest life possible. And he says some incredible things. And today we're gonna talk about one of those. We're gonna be in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. I wanna encourage you to turn there now, and uh, you can do that. I've been encouraging you and challenging you to bring your Bibles with you, whether that's in a physical copy like this or on your phones, however you need to do that. Let's get the Word of God in front of us as we uh, dive into it together. So chapter 6 of Matthew's Gospel, uh, verses 19 to 34. I remember when I was in college, I had two hockey coaches. They kind of co-coached the team, and one of them, uh, we'll call him Coach Stevens, and uh, the other one was this guy named Coach Butters. Coach Butters was this big guy. He was a, a past NHL player. He had played for the Minnesota North Stars, which Minnesota's still mourning about, by the way, and, uh, and, and he was what you would call an enforcer you would be sent out to go and fight somebody. There might even be a YouTube clip, if you search it up, on Bill Butters jumping into the opposing team's bench to take on the whole team. So that gives you a little idea of who Coach Butters was. Now, when Coach Butters said something, it was. That's the way it was going to be, I remember on several occasions, Coach Stevens coming into the locker room and saying, hey, here's the lineup, you know, Dewberry with Kevin and, and, and James, you guys are going to be the first line. And then Butters would be like, no, Erickson's in there. Okay, okay, Erickson's going to be on the third line. Okay, now here's what's going to happen, though, is after the game, we're all going to go to Applebee's. Butters is like... No, we're going to Outback. Okay, we're going to go to Outback, so that's what's going to happen, right? And so as a team, what we figured out quickly was we just looked to butters first. We're like, why don't you just speak first? Let's just, you know, get past all this. You speak first. Here's what we're, we're trying to, to do as Christ followers is we're trying to hear Jesus first. What if in this moment in our life as a church, we just said, you know What? Jesus, we want you to speak first. We're going to turn to you. Before we turn to the news channels, before we turn to even our our deepest loved ones, before we we turn to our own convictions and our own passions, our own desires, our our own wills, Jesus, we want you to have the first word. Wow, what a life would that be, for Jesus had the first word And so we're coming around the words of Jesus. We're in the Sermon on the Mount right now in chapter 6. That's in Matthew's Gospel 5, 6, and 7. This is a place where Jesus has this great crowd of curious people wondering about who this Jesus is. And this is his pinnacle place where he shares about his kingdom. He's describing what it looks like to be a follower of his, to be a person who walks in his kingdom, the ways of his kingdom. So he spends chapters 5, 6, and 7 giving these teachings. And one of those teachings comes in Matthew 6, verses 19 to 34. And what I want to share on today is I want to share on being generous. Be generous. I have a subtitle to my, my sermon today. It's this, how to treat your treasure. Okay? How to treat your treasure. Your treasure. What it means to be generous. Living a your kingdom come, your will be done kind of lifestyle. This is the life that Jesus is calling us into. Your will be done, Lord. Your kingdom come. What I want to share with you in this passage are four directives that Jesus gives to us. These are just real clear statements, uh, uh, points that Jesus is making that he wants the people to carry with. Let me just kind of give you the outline of of how they go. The first directive that Jesus gives is really the main theme of this passage. It's what everything else centers around. It's the center point. We need to hear this first directive first. The second two directives are the things that can become blocks and barriers to the first directive. And the fourth directive is about how to live so that first directive can come true in our lives. Do you get that? You wrote that down? I didn't see anybody writing it down. I didn't see anybody, maybe a few of you. We'll go along, it's gonna be okay. We're gonna get it as we go. Here's the first directive that Jesus gives in this passage. The first directive is this, store your treasures in heaven. Now remember, this is the main point of this section of his Sermon on the Mount. Store your treasures in heaven. He's teaching us a very valuable lesson. He's giving a command here. Store your treasures in heaven. I can remember when I was a youth pastor about 20 years ago now, I brought my students to a paintball uh, place. (laughs) Is that what they call them? Yeah, paintball place. That's where I went. And I took them there, and we got into two different teams But all of a sudden, I realized that all the kids, you know, somehow maybe on the bus or something, made a decision that there were gonna be two teams, but they were gonna be on a team and I was gonna be on a team. And all of a sudden, I I figured out that they were aiming everything they had, all of them, at me. Here's what Jesus is saying. Store your treasures in heaven. What Jesus is commanding us to do is to aim everything we have at heaven. Aim it all at heaven. Aim everything you've got at heaven. Store your treasures in heaven. This is the call. The call is to invest in the things of God, the the move of God, the children of God. Make investments in heaven now. The command is simple aim everything you've got at heaven. Store your treasures in heaven. You might be thinking, well, I don't have any treasures. We all have treasures. This isn't limited just just our finances, but I would imagine for, for most of us, we have some level of financial treasure as well. How are you stewarding that? What are you doing with it? Are you aiming it at heaven? But I also believe the Lord's not just talking about finances here, he's talking about how we use our time and steward our time, how we use those gifts that he's so graciously given to us the gifts of faith, the gifts of healing, the gifts of administration, the gift of hospitality, all these spiritual gifts that he gives his children. How are you stewarding those things? He's talking about talent, the treasures that you've been given in your talent, the things that you're just good at or you've learned to get good at. It might be finances. It might be counseling others. It might be opening your home. It might be Educating other people. These talents that you you have and you possess, how are you stewarding those things? These are all treasures. The relationships and the connections that you have, these are treasures. Maybe the education that you've been privileged enough to be able to have, how are you stewarding that towards the things of heaven? We all have treasures. Where are we aiming them? Store your treasures In heaven I love this word store the word store means to place something on purpose there's this great show on Netflix called get organized has anybody seen this show before well it's on Netflix you should watch it (laughs) I'm sure maybe other people campuses have watched it get organized I've watched a few episodes of this and it's these two friends that go into a home or an office space that is a mess and at the end of the show, they, they sort everything and they store things where they should go so that people can find them in the office. Sometimes what they do is they discard things that shouldn't be there anymore. But other times, they take things and they put them in really nice bins. They must spend a lot of money on bins and in different color coordination. And the people walk in, and all of a sudden, their life is changed completely. I wonder if you go back three months from them if it's still the same way, but we, that's a whole different show, you know? That's a whole different—that's Hoarders. I think that's the show, that, that one. This one's Get Organized. But, but what they're doing is they're placing things on purpose, Here's what Jesus is commanding us to do with our treasures, those things that we we have, those graces in our life. He's saying place them somewhere on purpose. Don't let them just lie around. Don't let them just go unintended. No, store them, place them somewhere on purpose. And I love Jesus, he tells us exactly where to store them. Store your treasures in heaven, in heaven. Now, I don't want you to read past this passage too fast and say, oh, well, I'm not in heaven, so this doesn't apply to me. No, we learned several years ago when we did a 10 or 11 week series on heaven that heaven is really the abode of God. What that means is heaven is wherever God is. Heaven is being in the presence of the Lord. Yes, there is going to be a place that's being prepared for us called heaven, that when Jesus comes back, we are going to be with him in this perfect place that we love to imagine, but we can't ever imagine how great it is. That place is real. We have that to look forward to. But right now, we're in this in-between where we experience the kingdom of God, we experience the presence of God now, uh, but not yet. We experience it now, but maybe not in the fullest sense When it's going to be in heaven But we do experience the presence of God now He's here We believe that That's why we get so excited Us Christians on Easter This is why Because Jesus is alive Not just that he rose from the dead But he's he's really living And walking with us And so heaven In one sense Is right now Because we're in the presence of God And so when Jesus commands us to store our treasures in heaven, what he's saying is take everything you've got and aim it at the activity of God. Aim it at the move of God. Aim it at where the kingdom of God is being built. Aim it there. This is what he's wanting for each and every one of us. Now our default, however, is to store our treasures on earth. Jesus knows that. That's why he says, don't store your treasures on earth. And he tells us exactly what's going to happen if we do. Those treasures are going to be wasted. See, the human condition is we like to hold on to things. Most of us are control people. We feel more comfortable when we have control of things. So we hold on tightly to things. But what Jesus is commanding us to do is live an open-handed life. Saying, you know what? No, all these things belong to the Lord. All these things that I've been graced with, I'm gonna point and aim at heaven. You know, one time I, I took a, a trip from Minneapolis to Duluth and I, I did it on a Greyhound bus. Anybody ever take a Greyhound bus trip? Yeah, those are special, aren't they? Those are special. There's a lot of interesting things happening in, on those bus situations. And I, I remember going from Minneapolis to Duluth and, and it would be really bad if I took all the money that I saved, I was a, a pretty poor college kid at this point, I saved some, some money to go visit a friend, and, and it would be really ridiculous of me to take all that money that I saved and spend it on the bus trip, wouldn't it? Like buy like a nice you know, seat cover to put on my, bu- that might not be a bad idea in the Greyhound situation, but you know, buy something there, right? buy a fan, buy a bunch of treats and spend all my money on the, on, the, on the drive from Minneapolis to Duluth because Duluth was my destination. And so often what I think we do as humans is that we, we take all of our resources, all of our treasures, and we aim them at the temporary place. And what Jesus is commanding us to do is to aim them at the eternal place, at heaven. See, what Jesus wants for us is, is he doesn't want us to waste our blessings. If we store our treasure on earth, in the end, everything will be destroyed or stolen. I love how it says moths will eat them, rusts will, will come and, and captivate it, thieves will steal it. It's a waste. What Jesus is commanding here is, is he wants us to be able to not miss out on being a blessing. And when we store our treasure on earth, we miss out on the blessing of being an open-handed person. Getting to experience all that God wants to do in and through us. Here's my question for you in this point. Is everything aimed at heaven in your life? The treasures that you have, are they aimed at the things of God? Have you dedicated it all to the Lord? Let's move to these next two points. These next two points are two things that can become barriers to us living this kind of life where we store everything we have in heaven, where we aim everything we've got, we dedicate everything we got to the Lord. Here are two obstacles for us as humans. And the first directive here in these two is this. Jesus tells us to stop serving two masters. Stop serving two masters. Let's first define what a master is. A master is anything that has control over you or is in charge of you. You cannot serve two masters now Jesus uses the example of money here but it's not limited to that but we can see his point that money can become a controlling factor in our life can it yeah it absolutely can it can occupy our thoughts our, our, our idea of what success looks like our lifestyles it can control us the need for more it's usually never the need for less (laughs) the need for more, the want for more, trying to keep up with our neighbor or our family member, this control of of money can can definitely become a master in our life, but it's not limited to that. Another master could be a person, somebody that you just, I'm going to do whatever they tell me to do. It could even be a good person. It can be an addiction. Alcohol can become a master over you. Drugs can become a master over you. Pornography, lust, can become a master over you. Even a false identity can become a master over you. Something that you believe about yourself that's not true. Oh, I'm not good enough. Have any of you ever wrestled with that? False identity, oh I'm not good enough, I can't be used by God. Now everything you see and every opportunity that comes up before you, you put through that lens and it blocks you from entering into the things of the Lord. It's a master over you. A picture of what success looks like can become a master. Anything that has control over you or has taken charge of you. And we can't serve two masters. Here's what Jesus teaches us in this very clearly. If we try to serve two masters, what will end up happening is we will hate the one and we will love the other. We can't serve Jesus and also have another master in our life. Those things will compete against each other. This is why the rich young ruler couldn't walk away from his wealth. He had two masters. He wanted two masters. Jesus, I want to follow you, but I also want to serve this, and, and, and I, I want my, my wealth as well. I, 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 now I'm conflicted. You will end up hating one and loving another. There's about... Five or six years ago, a man came into my office to speak to me, and he shared with me that he was having an affair. I sat with him and and talked to him about that, and he was unwilling to leave the affair. And so then he, he said to me, and so the other thing I want to share with you is that I've given up on my faith. And I thought to myself, of course you did. Of course you did. And here's why you did. is because you can't serve two masters. You can't live doing one thing that you know Jesus doesn't want you to do and then also be serving Jesus. It just doesn't work. You'll end up hating one in order to love the other. And so Jesus is being very clear. I love Jesus, man. He doesn't pull any punches. He says, listen, I'm not looking for half your heart. I'm not looking for half your life. This is serious stuff, friends. No, this isn't a casual relationship with the Lord. No, this is full surrender to him. This is all in. This is why in some pastors says, "I'm not looking for you to be lukewarm, be hot or cold." This is the way that the Lord is calling us into things. You can't serve two masters. What will happen is you'll be distracted by the one and you won't be able to give your full self to the other. Here's the truth. We were created to serve one master. That's how we are knit together. Scripture even tells us that our God is a jealous God. What that means is that he, he guards what is his. And one of the things that is his is that he has created us to serve and love and know him as the Lord of our life. And so he's jealous over that. He guards that, he protects that. He wants you to experience a relationship with him in the fullest sense, and he knows you can't do that while you're trying to serve another master right alongside him. Our connection with with Jesus will be compromised if we serve multiple masters. So why should Jesus be our only king? Here's why. It's in the context of Jesus being the one and only master of our life, that things like money, time, relationships, homes, gifts, talents, resources, it's in the context of us saying, Jesus, you are the one and only God in my life. You are my one master, you are my one Lord. It's in the context of this kind of life that things like money, that things like gifts, things like talents, all of a sudden become opportunities in our hands to bless the Lord and bless other people. Money's not bad. Homes aren't bad. Gifts aren't bad. Where they become bad is when they become the master of your life. No, when Jesus is the master of your life, now all of these things, these treasures, become opportunities to bless God and bless his kingdom. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. Not to build our own fiefdoms, not to build our own kingdoms, but to to see his kingdom come. That's our hope. My question for you in this is this. Is there a master in your life right now whose name is not Jesus? Is there a master in your life right now, if you took an honest look, where you you need to say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm serving two masters. I'm trying to serve three masters right now, and this is a moment to be honest with that and say, Jesus, I want you and you alone to be the Lord of my life. The second thing here, and this is the third directive that Jesus gives, but it's the second thing that can become a block to us being really truly generous people, open-handed people, and Jesus' directive here in verses 25 to 32 is this. Resist the temptation to worry. Actually, most of our passage is about worrying. Isn't that interesting? Most of our passage is about worrying. And, and here's why. Because Jesus knows that worrying robs our worship. Jesus knows that, that worrying robs us from stepping out in faith. It robs us from trusting the Lord. It, it robs us of our time. It robs us of our true identities in the Lord. It robs us of being generous people. Worry is a robber. That's what worry does. And Jesus teaches us some very specific things about worry in this passage. And the first thing is this. In verse 26, I, I love how Jesus says this. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. Now catch this. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Now I hate birds, so I can answer that real quick. Of course we are. Of course we are. And that's what he wants the the listener to be able to respond. Of course we're more valuable. Our God cares deeply about us. Maybe you don't know that, but your God, he cares deeply about us you if he cares for the birds of the air later on it says if if he clothes the lilies of the field man don't you think he's going to clothe you don't you think he's going to care for you he cares so deeply about you when it comes to worrying this is our first place to start in helping obliterate worry in our life is that you have a God who loves you who cares about your every need he loves you and he knows what's best for you Our God, he cares about us deeply. In verse 27, it goes on, and and, and Jesus asks this question. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And what Jesus is trying to teach us here is our worrying gains us nothing. Again, the answer to this question is very easy. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? I don't know. All of my worrying, it hasn't added any time to my life. Has it added any time to your life? Have you ever looked back and gone, I wish I would have worried more about that? (laughs) Had I just worried more about it, I would have known what to do. No, I'm pretty sure on my deathbed, I'm not going to be saying, I wish I would have spent more time worrying. I'll probably say, I wish I spent more time in the presence of Jesus. I wish I spent more time with my kids and family. Like, I want more time, more time there. But never would we ever say, man, I wish I'd had more time to worry The answer is clear. No, it doesn't add a single moment to our lives, worrying. The return of worry is more worry. It's like a snowball going down a hill. Worrying grows more worrying. Worrying births more worrying. And this is what Jesus is saying here. Listen, he's saying that if worrying is not able to even add a single minute or an hour to your day, then how is worrying going to deliver on the more important things in life? If it can't even add time to your schedule, then how is worry going to add anything to the more difficult, the more challenging things of life? Worrying's not going to get you out of that situation. Worrying's not going to get your kid into college. Worrying's, you can see where my worry is right now. Worrying is not going to make the church thrive. Worrying is not going to keep you healthy or get you healthy. Worrying is not going to save your business. Worrying gains us nothing. In fact, usually the opposite is true where our worrying snowballs into fairy tale making. All of a sudden we take something, we start here, and all of a sudden it becomes this great story and it ends here and about 89 to 95% of what we worried about never happens. And we create fairy tales. Worrying gains us nothing. What Jesus wants us to know is that our God, he's faithful. And he loves us deeply. He feeds the birds of the air. He clothes the lilies in the field. He's been faithful to us and he always will be. Here's my question of application for you today. What are you worrying about? And will you release it to the Lord and trust him with it today? It's not gonna gain you any time. Don't allow worry to rob you of being open to God moving in your life. Choose to trust him today. And this is a continual process, friends. We need to remind ourselves and and replace those negative thoughts with the things that God tells us who we are and who he is. Fourth and final directive. This comes in verse 33. Jesus commands us to seek the kingdom of God. This is the how. If we want to store our treasures in heaven, then we need to be seekers of the kingdom of God. We need to be people who are constantly on the hunt for the things of God. Constantly scanning and surveying and looking, continually intrigued and eager to see and to find the kingdom of God and to enter in to what he's doing. We need to be people who are seekers of the truth, people who are setting our minds on the things of God, the truths of God. I love in Philippians 4.8, it says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Let me just lead you with one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise, Seek his truth. This is what it means to seek his kingdom. Seek his truth. Seek his ways. His way is the way of generosity. Being blessed so that we can bless others, serve one another, love one another, live ready to sacrifice for one one another, live an open-handed life. Live a life that says your kingdom come, your will be done. Be people who seek the ways of God as he teaches us about the things of the kingdom. Seek his voice. Jesus taught his disciples to pray Your kingdom come, your will be done as it is in heaven. The way to know whether you're in the will of God is to know the word of God and to know the voice of God. This is how Jesus teaches us. And he does that through his word. He does that through trusted friends who we walk with in in, in fellowship and community. He does it through an attitude and posture of prayer. He speaks and prompts our heart. And ultimately, he does it by his spirit, which is a gift to us. Seek the kingdom of God, seek his kingdom, seek the truth about his kingdom, seek the kingdom ways. Seek the kingdom voice, the voice of Jesus in your life, and step out with him. Here's my question of application for you here. Very practical. If you're a seeker of the kingdom of God, then the question is, are you meeting with Jesus? Are you meeting with him? Are you setting time aside to meet with him? Pastor Craig Horn and I are going to speak about that next week. Are you, are you really meeting with Jesus you're asking him to speak in your life through his word and through his voice. This is how you will be led into a generous life, a kingdom-minded life. Let me close this message by saying this. I was thinking about my smartphone, and I believe we are in a smartphone culture where we constantly have notifications coming coming. We get distracted so easily from what we're, we set out to do. I don't know if you've ever found this, where you kind of go on your phone to do one thing, and then all of a sudden something else pings up, and you're like, oh, I better do that. You know? I'm going to go check my bank account, pay a bill, and then all of a sudden, bing, oh, a text message comes in. Oh, a friend I haven't seen in a while. Let me open up one of my social media platforms, see what they're up to, and then, and then I forget why I was even going on my phone in the first place. My kids always laugh at me because I usually have like 80 apps open at one time. And they're all doing something for me. Right? We've lost the value, and I would say the blessing of being dedicated to one thing. We've lost that in our culture. And so I think it's time for dedication. Welcome to a dedication service right now. Oftentimes we think, well, we dedicate our kids. No, we should dedicate everything to the Lord. To dedicate means to devote or assign something to a particular purpose or task. We need to remember we have an assignment. We are not on this planet running around aimlessly. We have been given an assignment. We have been given this assignment to a particular task and purpose. Not a thousand tasks and purposes, not 80 apps open at once, one one purpose, one task, and here's what our mission is, friends. Jesus gave it to us himself. He says, love God and love others. What we should be aiming everything at is loving God and loving others. And I think this is a moment for us because I would imagine that all of us in some way, shape, or form are trying to serve two, three, four, five masters at once. And we need a moment Of rededication saying Jesus we're gonna point everything we got at you even if it's painful even if I feel out of control even if I'm not sure where you'll take me I'm gonna aim everything at you Jesus I found this great prayer of dedication written by Joyce Myers I want to read it to you and then I want to pray it together she says this Lord I am yours I want to be a vessel fit for your use. I love that line. Man, I want to be useful in your kingdom, God. I dedicate myself to you. I give you my hands. All the work that he's put before you. I give you my mouth. Every word that comes out of it. I give you my mind. How I think. I give you my my body how I'm present in this world. I give you my money, those those things that you've you've blessed me with, and I give you my time. Father, here I am. I am yours. Do with me whatever you want to do today. Here's how I want to lead you today. I want to invite you, if, if you would like to, pray this prayer with me. In just a moment, in all of our campuses, online as well, if you're in your home, wherever you might be, if you're driving in your car right now, maybe don't stand, but uh, participate with us. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand if you want to pray this. Well, listen, this isn't a pastor trying to get you to do something you don't want to do. It's okay if you're not there right now. But sometimes changing our, our posture really makes a commitment to the Lord. And so I want to invite anybody who, just, who wants to really make this prayer of dedication to the Lord today to stand with me, and I'll lead us through this time of prayer. Let's pray together. You can say this out loud with me, or just in the quietness of your heart. Lord, I am yours. I want to be a vessel fit for your use. I dedicate myself to you. I give you my hands, my mouth, my mind, my body, my money, and my time. Father, here I am. I am yours. Do with me whatever you want to do today. Oh Lord, we come before you and we offer ourselves to you. Lord, we thank you that you have blessed us so richly. And here's why. Because we know you. We're in your presence. We're going to know you forever. Our sins have been forgiven. We each have a story to share, a treasure to be given. And Lord, I pray that we would be known as a church, as a people who are generous, a people who aim everything we've got at heaven. And Lord, I pray that in doing so, we might see fruit. That we might see your kingdom being built. That we might see healing and restoration. We might see reconciliation in our world. That we would see the things of you, God, right in front of our eyes. That we might experience a bit of heaven right now. And so Lord, we pray that if if we have any other masters that right now they just be laid at the altar.